Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. What's up? This has been a really, really, really wild week. <laughs> yeah. In politics. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just try to focus on, let's zoom out a little bit. Let's zoom out a bit, little bit and talk about all these Canadian leaders who are trampling on our charter rights and freedoms. Hmm. Yeah. What's with that? What is with that? We've got Doug Ford. We've got Lego. <laughs> That's a fun, fun name to say, actually. Lego. And Trudeau. Yeah, Trudeau. He's so everybody's favorite prime minister. And I mean, no one's talking about hit the way that he's trampling on charter rights. Can we talk about that? I don't know if you hear these um, interviews on CBC from people who are trying to like appeal to Donald Trump or other world leaders by talking about how great Justin Trudeau is. It actually but, makes me so sick. <laughs> oh, it makes me sick too. And it's like, okay, so the guy is trampling on. He's trampling on a lot of rights. You know, the a indigenous lot. communities still don't have drinking water. Like mm-hmm. this whole border security thing with the former cop. What's his name? Uh, <laughs> it's like Bill Blair, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like you might be thinking about something uh, specific because you named Lego. Lego, my charter rights. A little <laughs> ego <laughs> reference right there for everybody. Oh, you ruined it. You ruined the fun. Yeah. <laughs> There we Sorry. go. It's over. <laughs> Just like when you made Doug a fucking verb. Okay, that was fucking brilliant. Mm. Mm. Didn't even <laughs> acknowledge it on Twitter. Refused. I noticed. I am talking about something specific. I am talking about the right to strike. People don't think about the right to strike as a charter right, but it is a charter right, 100%. Yes. And workers do have the right to demand better. But before we get into all that, why don't we talk about what's happening with Cup W, our postal workers who are on strike across Canada? Yeah, so the the Liberals uh, introduced a piece of legislation to stop Cup W from their uh, rotating strikes. And so when you are in a labor dispute, let's say you've got a contract that hasn't been settled and you have uh, you've got, you know, like one to ten demands, let's say. And so you say, here are our demands. The management's supposed to say, here are our demands. And you're supposed to sit down at a table and hammer it out until you come up with an agreement that both sides can live with. If you can't come up with an agreement that both sides can live with, eventually it'll get kicked to other pieces of labor legislation that will likely put you through a process called binding arbitration, where a judge looks at both sides and says, here's what is the most neutral, middle of the ground kind of set of demands. That, that's how it would go if there was no tactics like a strike or a lockout employed by either side. And what what is required for that to work is something that is called good faith. <laughs> And I, have, I laugh because I feel like it's on such short supply mm-hmm. these days. And so, you know, if if you have a union that is saying, you know, here are our demands and then you have management saying, uh-huh, that's nice. And then you're doing this for more than a year of negotiations. And so you're like, here are our demands. And management's like, uh-huh, that's nice. Because management knows that government will do whatever you ask it to. They will crush the workers' uh, action, that the strikes aren't going to affect the bottom line all that much. There's really no incentive for management to bargain in good faith. And that's where we're at with the Cup W strike, where 
workers are bargaining for mostly uh, better work, uh, health, workers' health and safety, because as parcel mail has increased, there has been an obvious increase in workers' injuries. Because if you have to bring things that are heavy to people's doors more than you're bringing letters to people's doors, workers' injuries are going to increase. And so this is a big issue in the strike. And then the second big issue is a parity of um, salary among rural workers and urban workers. And when you look at who works in the rural, in the rural areas and who works in the urban areas, it tends to be skewed towards women in the rural areas. Sorry, I can't say that word very well. Uh, and, and men in the urban. And so, uh, so then there's kind of a de facto gender equity issue or pay equity issue that's going on. And so these are the two main issues that Cup W has identified that they want the corporation to settle. And so, you know, Cup W has put out their demands. They want to have this stuff equalized, the, the, the salary discrepancies equalized from the rural to the urban carriers. And they want to have the corporation take workers' health and, serious, health and safety more seriously. And the corporation has said, fuck you. We know that, you know, the CBC is going to run Ian Lee non-fucking-stop. And he's just going to say random stuff about e-commerce as if, like, it's still 2002. And the host is going, oh, okay, mm-hmm, yeah, all right, that sounds, uh, okay, yeah, that's right, uh, AOL online is pretty serious. And they'll they'll invent a narrative, and I think that that's what we could talk about a little bit. They'll invent a narrative that justifies ending the workers' action by uh, putting legislation together in the House of Commons, rushing it through uh, to stop workers' action. And it's, it's just, you know, like, this is, to me, like, I don't know if this has been proven anywhere in, like, a in a like a judicial sort of way but it's just so obviously bad faith because this is becoming more common now uh workers are going on strike yeah. demanding reasonable changes uh to their working conditions and corporations whether crown corporations or public corporations or otherwise are waiting you know to be able to to have some sort of pr messaging that this is you know so bad for the public that uh, the government has to step in and make sure that work resumes. But all that does is supremely benefits the employer in any sort of negotiation. They have absolutely no reason to negotiate if they know that eventually the government is going to make sure that their operations continue and they're able to either make profits if that's what it is that they do or ignore the needs of the workers if you know if it's more of a public spat public institutional spat but what that does is it takes away the whole philosophy or premise behind being able to negotiate on both sides of the table the workers have the power to take their work away to say we these conditions are so unacceptable that we can no longer have business as usual. We can't continue uh, to provide this service because our working conditions are this unacceptable. And all the government continually, because this isn't the first time this has happened, this is happening more and more these days, the corporations are just like, yeah, okay, so we'll give this a, a couple months or a couple weeks or whatever it is, and the government's going to step in and save our asses, mm. and you're going to have to bow down to whatever we say anyway because you're going to have to... To, to work under these conditions because the government's going to make you. That's right. And that is a violation of charter rights. Yeah, and it, and it kneecaps the absolutely critical ability of workers to withhold their work. It's like <laughs> we have the ability as, as workers in some minor way to say, 
we are demonstrating that the way you're treating us is unacceptable by not working. And 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 it's this is kind of where I think it's it's a bit fascinating uh, the tactic of rotating strikes because in some ways Cup W has been so successful in maintaining order, maintaining the mail, and maintaining mm-hmm. parcel delivery that I, like I feel like average Canadians haven't been touched by it at all. And so the narratives mm-hmm. that are coming from media like. There's uh, 500 trucks full of mail that uh, to Santa Claus that will all be set on fire and no kids are going to get presents this year because of the evil postal workers. Like it doesn't, it actually doesn't. It's so outrageous. It's so, it's so outrageous and it doesn't actually bear itself out in reality. It's like, you know, I, I could just use my own example, my own experience where I'm getting a renewal checks for the Canadian Association of Labor Media right now. And it's like, I've received 52 checks since the labor uh, dis dispute started since the rotating strikes started Mm -hmm. my kids got a parcel for their birthday literally in two days from toronto delivered by canada post and and so i have a direct experience with the mail and i and i get mail all the time so i can see that if there has been a delay it has been minor and so i I wonder if one of the problems is that cup w hasn't stopped the mail well enough to really bring the corporate side to their knees and it's just allowed uh, for the, the the corporate side to to just say a lot of fucking weird things like uh, the house on CBC this yesterday had uh, the head of eBay <laughs> and she was saying that uh, from the consumer side there has been no disruption mm-hmm. but her concern is small businesses that small businesses uh, are feeling nervous which eBay's is bad for business. concern is small businesses yeah yeah like what eBay. Oh, okay. I know. I was like, sorry, is this Etsy? It's like, no, no, it's eBay. Oh. <laughs> and, and so it's like, sorry, so your feelings are what's driving this? Like, so never mind the fact that the mail is still being delivered, that there aren't these massive delays, that I don't know if a single journalist has managed to go and find these phantom trucks. Um, at, at one point, they, the Canada Post said that they need to end the rotating strikes because there's a million pieces of mail that haven't been delivered. And Jeff Bickers- mm-hmm. Bickerton, who's a researcher for Cup W, says that there were 67 days last year alone where there was more where than a million. they delivered over a million pieces of mail in a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in a day. It's yeah. just, it's so outrageous because it just means that they don't even know their own statistics. Uh, no. <laughs> but yeah, I do think that once, you know, obvious, obvious, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but hopefully Cup W or um, some other representative labor body takes this legislation to court because it's already been tested like it's been tested to um in i think 2015 there was uh, a case where the supreme court decided that the, the right to strike um is a charter right um covered under freedom of association and um only in in minor cases where there's like threat to life so they're talking about you know like uh, striking um uh, like emergency services uh, yeah. could there be an, an exception. So probably Cup W or some other representative labor, labor body is going to take this legislation to court. It's going to probably take longer than the Christmas period, which is, I assume, what the, the purpose is. I don't know. And they're going to win. And at that time, yeah. I really do think that um, perhaps the strike should be ramped up to not necessarily be quite so rotating and friendly because um, the point of taking your labor away is to show the public how what how useful 
the the service is, how necessary the service is, and how those workers then deserve to be respected. And, you know, the, the, the corporations who have a lot of money, the folks who are at the top who have a lot of money have done a lot of work over the years to transform that message to, oh, look at these, you know, lazy striking workers who just want, want, want and uh, don't want to do work. But we need to recognize what they're telling us by withdrawing their work. They're telling us our working conditions are so alarming that we're going to do this really hard thing, which is most of the time, you know, especially in Canada, stand outside (laughs) in really difficult (laughs) uh, conditions um, not be paid what we are, you know, what we're usually paid and and demand better for ourselves. That's really hard. Right. That's an extreme measure to take. And it means that something is going wrong between the way that the employer is managing employees. And people have a right to say, no, 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 I'm not going to I'm not going to be beholden to these terrible conditions. And as Nora mentioned, the, the, the demands that people have are not outrageous. And so if they take their labor away uh, in greater numbers, our responsibility as people who are watching this isn't to just say, oh, man, I can't, I can't fucking get my package out to, I don't know, Quebec City for Nora's kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's it's to say, oh, man, I can't do that. And that's because some shitty fucking greedy management fuckheads aren't doing what they need to do to make sure that there's like uh, not gender discrimination in the pay. Like, come on. You know, we we need to do a little bit better at making sure that we're informed about what these issues are and who really has the power because the workers generally have one power and that's to get together and to withdraw withdraw their labor yeah the thing that's most concerning to me too is some of the statistics about how bad the injury rates are at canada post uh, they're really alarming Mm -hmm. and and so if the corporation won't fix it in like in a normal period of time where the workers are like hey we're bargaining we want to have a safer work environment and the corporation's like nah fuck you like what options actually do they have? And so I have a couple of statistics here. So the, and this again, this is from CupW's researcher, Jeff Bickerton. And so he wrote on Twitter uh, that the injury rate at Canada Post is four is 5.4 times the average of the rest of the federal sector. Right. Because Canada Post is federally regulated. So the federal sector includes the airlines, the banks, telecommunications. Wow. The injury, yeah, the injury rate of letter carriers specifically. So if you take out all of the uh, mail processing centers or other people who work at Canada Post, the injury rate of letter carriers is over eight times that of the average of the rest of the federal wow. sector. And Jesus, yeah, and there's just one more. So Cup W, the Union of uh, Canadian Postal Workers. Canadian Union of Postal Workers, represents almost 50,000 postal workers. And during the past four years, so as we've seen parcel delivery increase, workers have experienced 30,877 injuries. Jesus Christ. And of those injuries, 14,752 were classified by Labor Canada, so by the you know official board that's tracking these statistics, as disabling injur- injuries. Oh my God. This is this is so outrageous. Like nobody should have a job that is that dangerous and certainly not to deliver mail. Like delivering mail is important, but it's not 
saving lives, yeah. right? It's like you should not be putting yourself in harm's way for any kind of work, but obviously definitely not carrying the mail. The corporation is making money. The corporation's making even more money as Canada Post is as both sides, as the corporate media will say, as the lady from eBay said, the most efficient, the most cost-effective service, the easiest way to get packages fast to people in Canada, especially in rural Canada, because mm-hmm. that's not where you've got the FedExes and the UPSs of the world going. Mm-hmm. And and still they're treating their workers that way? Like, th- how, how are the workers supposed to fight back? And the thing is, like, that should be the front page news when we when we're talking about uh, a strike like those figures are astronomical and absolutely unacceptable I don't want the people who are uh, delivering my mail to go through like you know severe risk to their personhood in order to get me whatever thing that I ordered whatever book I ordered latest you know that doesn't that is completely unreasonable and to me it is reasonable for somebody to withdraw their labor if that's what's happening. And that is how we should be yeah. thinking about labor actions. And the the ease with which government representatives decide to, okay, you know, it, the strike is unpopular. So what we're going to do is, um, you know, gain some votes for ourselves and some popularity for ourselves by saying, we don't, we don't support a break in your, you know, uh, delivery of mail, especially not over the holy period my god no no we will instead <laughs> jesus did not die <laughs> you know? like even if people are putting themselves in harm which is of course not part of the narrative but no we don't we don't support that so we will force these people to continue working under these conditions what that is just so unconscionable to to just you know ignore all of the issues that get you yeah. to this place and force people back to work. And, you know, it's obviously not just Cup W. This has happened with um, the transit union. This has happened with labor unions on campuses. This has happened so many times that the government is just so willing to say, eh, you know, we'll just we'll just make them go back to work. And what that then looks like later on at the bargaining table yeah. or at, uh, you know, an arbitration or whatever, whatever happens next, usually it's going to be some sort of arbitration because a bargaining has fallen through or some sort of mandated mediation is a situation where the employer is emboldened. They know the government is on their side. So even yep. if before they were doing some sort of risk calculation where they were like, okay, maybe we should give a little bit here. Once the government says, well, we'll support you by making sure that the, the workers are back at work and you look good, we look good, workers look shitty, then the employer's like, eh, what do I have to, to lose now? I might as well take this all the way <laughs> because there is no uh, disadvantage totally. for us. Meanwhile, the workers have been out of work off on you know on the streets for so long and have already taken huge disadvantages uh to themselves personally and you know by being on strike which is a really difficult thing to do um and then have to go through an even more yeah undignified process um (laughs) being mandated back uh, to the table by the government who is doing nothing to support these workers who who have who are going through all of these injuries who are facing discrimination it's uh in their pay it's terrible 
Well, and it's also like, think, think about it from the perspective of the House of Commons is supposed to represent average people. So average people, they would argue, you know, average people deserve to get their mail. Mm-hmm. Okay, except average people are getting their mail. So why are you intervening? And even then, you average people also have the right to declare a strike, which includes the 50,000 people that work at Canada Post that are represented by Cup W. Mm-hmm. And so if you if you generalize this across the federal industries, so you've got double you got Canada Post, so a, a profitable, effective corporation that Canadians all rely on in very different ways. Uh, then you've got a corporation like Air Canada, mm-hmm. right? Former Crown Corporation, now it's now it's private. Air Canada, the, the last time there was a whiff of a of a strike at Air Canada. Uh, Lisa Raitt was very quick to put preemptive back-to-work legislation on the table. Mm -hmm. And Air Canada, that's a great example of another highly risky industry, an industry that must put safety before uh, profits unless, you know, the the corporation can kind of do away with this safety measure here, this safety measure here, and then all of a sudden you have this crisis of, like, pilot fatigue, which we have in Canada. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's the banking sector, which is overwhelmingly not unionized. And in the banking sector, what are they known for? They're known for unbelievable profits, $36 billion in collective profits of the five major banks. And and where are those profits going? Those are going to line the pockets of a couple of men who have a lot of power. That Those profits don't go back to bank workers, and they can't even collectively bargain. They can't even force a redistribution of the profits that were created by them. It, like When you start to look at this from a sector to a sector to a sector— you start to understand how critical it is that that we allow workers to actually have the ability to, to fight back against this stuff because it is so clear that it's the liberals, whether it's Lisa Raitt and the conservatives, or let, whether it's Patty Hadju and the, and the liberals, they are operating on behalf of the corporate world. They're oper- operating behalf of, on behalf of corporate Canada, on behalf of it, boosting profits and at the expense of average people. And and so there's actually a much broader issue here. It's the issue of divesting power from the federal government or from any government through labor negotiations. Mm-hmm. And and this is, I think, the most important thing that so if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know much about the labor movement, this is like like put this on really, really high because this is the most important thing that. It isn't just about someone's right to strike or someone's ability to withhold their work. It is also about our ability to protest what government does through the only power that we really have, which tends to be on the job. And so if the if the government can 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 kneecap this kind of action, if they can kneecap strikes and they they won't allow any real disruptive any real disruption to the corporate world, to corporate profits, then what check and balance to their power is there really? Or is it that we've got a government that's working hand in glove with the corporate world? And yeah, so that just means 14,000 disabling injuries across the the entire uh, Cup W membership. It's like, yeah, no big deal. And then those people, what does that mean for their family? Oh, their family, their family might lose someone who can't even work anymore, or they have to work fewer hours, or maybe that develops into an opioid addiction, which we also know is being fueled by... Uh, by workplace injury and people having chronic pain thanks to being injured on the job. 
And the government's like, yeah, whatever. That's something really important, which, you know, Nora says we also know, but I don't know that a lot of people know this. And that was originally what we were going to record about this week before this week became like such a political quagmire. So but we will we will be talking about that. But we have to recognize that these things are all connected. They're not isolated incidents that don't have another like some sort of other effect on our public health industry, on the way that uh, social assistance is provided, like the when when the government should be working for a quote unquote average people, workers are average people. And the thousands of workers within uh, Canada Post are also average people who deserve to work without without injury. And as you mentioned, like the government being in the pocket of corporations or working together with corporations, one of the most ridiculous things that I heard about or read about with respect to the strike and the legislation that was being uh, put through was that they were talking about in the House, governments talking about, you know, using uh, people with disabilities as a as a way to justify the back to work legislation, saying that people um, are, are going to lose a necessary income if they don't receive their checks, their disability checks. And, um, you know, they, they have to receive their disability checks. And it, because of these these, you know, striking workers, this is why it's an essential service. Because if they lose these checks, they might lose their home or, or, or you know, something that you know, they need for, for uh, the security of their life. And as a result, we need this back-to-work legislation. But because Cup W has already thought about that, because they are literally actually working for uh, the, the average people, um, they, part of their, their, the way that they negotiated um, how they were going to strike amongst their membership was that they would not stop distributing social security checks. But Canada Post has directed some of their workers who are, uh, some of the striking workers who are, because the strikes are rotating, um, who are doing the delivery not to deliver letter mail. Why would the corporation... Um, direct their employees not to deliver letter mail, if not to create this whole situation so that the government could uh, could say exactly yeah. what they're saying. Cup W never wanted to stop delivering that mail. They never had any intention to. The only reason they would have ever stopped was if the if the employer made it so that they couldn't do it because the employer manages the work. Why would the employer do that? It is not like, you know, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous the way that corporations are able to work with the government to do something so like that is just so offensive. <laughs> the way that they they created this narrative yeah. by putting people who are extremely vulnerable in danger, literally in danger so that they could have something to point yeah. to yeah. to say, look at what these bad striking workers are doing. Because that they know that they control the narrative and that it's it's a, it's potentially uh, Cup W wouldn't be able to uh, poke a hole in that narrative. Now, I, I don't think necessarily that's the case. I think that it's possible. But certainly at this current moment, um, the government and Canada Post's narrative um, on that piece has certainly been the winning quote unquote narrative. Totally. And and they're benefiting from the fact that so few Canadians do have direct 
experience with strikes and it's whether you are a, a union member or you're not a union member or you have friends who are union members. If you don't have an experience with a strike where you're like, okay, something's been on strike. It's kind of annoying, but it's not really affecting me and I'm not going to cross the picket line because I know enough to not do that. That comes from actually living in a world where the services that you rely on from time to time go on strike. And uh, Charles Smith was a professor at uh, the University of Saskatchewan. He posted a really great chart uh, a couple of days ago about the the decline of public and private sector strikes. Uh, well, the, basically the how they've risen and then declined um, from 1946 until today. And so from 1946 until today, uh, the we're not far off actually from the number of of private sector strikes from 1946 as we are till today. There was just over 200 in 1946 and just under 200 in 2018. But the peak. The peak was in 1974, and in 1974, it shot up to more than a thousand private sector strikes in one year. And mm-hmm. now the public sector is a bit a little bit different because, of course, the public sector wasn't broadly unionized until the 1970s, and so and then that's a place where there's been a lot of union density growth, whereas the private sector is kind of the inverse. Um, but but the but the the curve follows uh, along uh, similarly that in the private sector. In 1980, was uh, you had the peak of the number of, of private uh, public sector strikes uh, being uh, about 300, and then in 2018, dropping uh, to below 100. So, so people just don't have that experience with um, like how workers' power can force change, mm-hmm. and it's it's really too bad because the reality is that there isn't a single thing that we have in society that didn't come out of workers' struggle. There's not a single societal benefit. So welfare changes, ODSP changes uh, in Ontario or, uh, the uh, you know, public school in the way that the public school system exists. All of these things were forged from struggle. And uh, like a lot of people are sharing that, that image saying that maternity leave, maternity leave didn't exist in Canada before 1981. Mm-hmm. Before 1981, women didn't have maternity leave. And now it's like you kind of think it's a given. But maternity leave was won in 1981 from a strike staged by the postal workers. Mm-hmm. And it was postal workers that actually gave, that actually fought for and won the first kinds of maternity leave. And then it starts to then snowball across sectors. And then it starts to make its way into into um, into provincial and federal legislation. And, and you start to have some entitlements that way. What I'm straight, what, what strikes me the most about this moment that we're in, that we're like you and I are always grappling with and trying to understand and, and try to try to explain to, to average people is we understand the necessary or people understand i think the necess- the, the the that that you have to fight for the things that you get within society you have to fight you really have to do fight for your rights whether or not people are actually fighting for the rights is a different story but i think that that's something that still does exist within common understanding mm-hmm. but at the same time we are witnessing like historic rollbacks in workers rights from the government of Doug Ford uh, we will for sure, if Jason Kenney gets elected, see uh, a, a workers, uh, workers action, workers organizing get that get crushed by Jason Kenney. We have uh, the the Saskatchewan government that tried to to trample on on workers' rights, um, which led to the decision from the Supreme Court of Saskatchewan versus the Saskatchewan Federation of Labor, or maybe I've reversed those because I'm I'm not that good with the details. But um, that actually was the test that said that no, the the right to strike is guaranteed by freedom of association under under the Charter of uh, Rights and Freedoms. And so, like, there's there's awareness of the need of, of like, that, you know, the 1% is bad and the 99% is good and that, you know, they're always going to try to keep us down if they can. 
but we have no popular conception of what it looks like to to be interacting on a regular basis with a strike. And that's because public and private sector unions strike activity is so low. And of course, that brings it back to what I was saying about Cup W is that maybe the work action was too efficient. It was too good that the that the mail hasn't actually been stopped, because even though they are doing everything they can to make sure that Canadians are not um, disadvantaged or they're not um, uh, they're they're not inconvenienced by this by this uh, labor action, the media has still whipped up anti-worker sentiment, has propped up uh, the voices of someone like Professor Ian Lee from uh, from Carleton, who uh, whose point I've heard him on interviewed I think three or four times on CBC Radio and various shows, and I I still don't understand what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> um, and and it's, and at the, at the at the at the expense of actually hearing from the workers about what it is like to be a, a rural mail carrier or what it is like to be injured on the job and then to have to still support your family somehow. Like, when did we lose that humanity in this discussion? I mean, I just like another thing to to think about also when we're, when we're thinking about strikes is, you know, we're constantly talking about how important it is to organize a fight back against the type of changes that we're seeing in our society in this, um, you know, in this current sociopolitical moment. And striking is a really important one. Uh, it's one that I don't think I think we're going to have to develop quite a bit more perhaps so that it looks more like it did in the 70s. We're going to have to develop the way that as working people, we, we engage in, in a strike activity and, and what we're talking about and how we're talking about them, how we're talking about them, so that we can affect the sort of uh, institutional change. Yeah. But it's, it's such, the fact that it's a protected right makes it such an effective way for us to engage in civil disobedience in some ways that really forces the employer and government to have to pay attention to what we're talking about. And it may be the case that if if governments continue down this trend of continuing to force workers back into their jobs, back into unsafe jobs, or back into working conditions that are unacceptable, then we're going to have to start thinking about wildcat strikes. Oh, what is that? Strikes... <laughs> what is that? Strikes that do not follow the normal labor process um, and that are, quote unquote, unlawful. You continue to be on strike even when uh, the law is not protecting you uh, for your right to strike. And there's a few situations where that may happen. Perhaps you're striking uh, because it's not an official bargaining time, but something has happened that the employer has done that's just so egregious that you you don't care that it's not an official bargaining time. You're gonna you're gonna go, or uh, perhaps you've been legislated back to work, or it's time to go back, or you know maybe the union leadership has betrayed the workers, or so there's all sorts of of reasons why workers may not want to go back into. Uh, the workplace when uh, their right to strike, the, the the legislated ways that they have the right to strike um, is no longer present. And, right. uh, you know, wildcat strikes used to be all strikes before <laughs> strikes were protected uh, by the government um, uh, earlier in the last century. You know, all, all, all withdrawal of labor was um, outside of the, the legislated accepted framework. Um, but... <laughs> You know, it may be the case that we're going to have to start thinking about as working people a strategy to withdraw labor outside of uh, what's legislatedly, legislatively protected uh, for us. If, you know, politicians with 
I don't know. People say he has great hair. I don't really think it's that great. But politicians <laughs> with great hair, you know, trample on our cheddar rights in a nicer, friendlier way. Yeah. And I, and you, you said may. I, I'm, I'm happy to just say straight up, like, no, it will require illegal work action. It absolutely mm-hmm. will. And that is hard for people to get their heads around because illegal work action usually comes with fines. It can come with jail time. And, um, and that's the reality. And it can come with losing your employment obviously oh yeah absolutely like like in quebec in quebec if you if you uh if you encourage illegal action like there like there's there's massive fines for the union and for the leadership and then the union's like well should we be get ridding getting rid of our, our our money in strike pay or should we be paying all these massive fines so you know there's there's other considerations that you have to think about if you're going to engage in some mm-hmm. sort of illegal work action but I, I, and maybe we can finish on this. You know, when I when I started the research for um, the book I wrote a couple of years ago on what the labor movement is and how to and how to renew it, I uh, had a document from the Canadian Labor Congress that was pretty old. I think uh, I you know I think that they make they they would rewrite it year over year, but it was it was written in a way that it sounded like it was a couple of decades old, and it just kind of dropped. In the middle of a paragraph about what a union is, so it's like you know talking about dues and it's talking about shop stewards and grievances. And it said something like, oh, and also unions are the only defense that we have against fascism. <laughs> and I was like, what? What? I have never heard that. And I don't understand how that how you could say that. Like, that's just it just felt like it was totally out of left field and it didn't make any sense and it wasn't explained. And as, of course, I did the research and I and I've and I've done a lot more writing on this. Um, it's true. It is actually 100 percent true that workers democracy and like you know the democratic structures within a within a labor within a workplace uh and then and then the the democratic structures that that create your negotiating committees that create uh the demands at the bargaining table those structures are a defense against fascism or fascist tendencies and so when you look at the the heyday of fascism and if you look at how workers what today <laughs> no, we're not there yet. Oh, we're not there yet. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay. Sorry. Just wanted to clarify. Continue. We're on, well, and, and you know, like obviously you're thinking in that direction and, and I'm I'm gonna go in that direction. But if you if you think about like Mussolini, his his henchmen went after socialist organizations and, and unions. Uh Hitler set up his own unions and made uh independent unions illegal. Like the 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 labor bureaucracy with its with its money with its its resources office space and democratic uh, buy in from this from the population is the only real fi- like defense against fascism because that is the that's the group of people who are actually explaining this to average people to try and you know make them say oh you know what's happening is really bad and so when you think about it in that way any attack on collective bargaining needs to be viciously resisted it needs to be resisted by the people themselves and but it also needs to be resisted by people like you and me who have never been members of cup w uh and who uh you know receive mail like everyone else or maybe me a little bit more i don't know how much mail you get but we have to be the average people who are not connected directly with the union are the ones that have to say hey justin trudeau not only did you well okay yeah one fuck you two Mm. not only did you promise to not treat Cup W members the way that Stephen Harper did, which already, like, he seems to be, because do you remember that marathon session to vote for the back-to-work legislation in 2000 and whatever it was, 11? Mm-hmm. Um, so not only have you broken your promises, but this is, this is 
oh, a far right tactic that the mm-hmm. Liberal Party of Canada is engage- engaging in. Mm-hmm. And anybody that voted for the Liberals who sees what's happening in the United States with Donald Trump and is very afraid, who sees what's happening in Ontario with Doug Ford and is very afraid, if you don't understand the connection between the Liberal Party of Canada taking away workers' rights to strike and the far right gaining power, then you have to really reflect on that. You have to do some reading and you have to educate yourself because that there is a direct line between the two. And when we are fine as a society with not allowing workers to, 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 to strike as a protest to their management who's refusing to bargain with them over something as important as workers' health and safety, like then then we're we're saying we're okay mm-hmm. with sliding towards a government like Donald Trump or we're okay with what's happened in Ontario. Mm-hmm. So that's my my call to arms a little bit like this strike is symbolic. It's also very literally important for many many people for tens of thousands of people and their families and their communities. And it's important because it protects our public services. It's important because Cup W has the capacity to do a lot of really great things like fight the bank's profits through creating a postal banking service. That's a whole other discussion. But at the at the end of the day, we cannot wait for the union to go and challenge this in court. It has to be challenged on the ground, on the picket line, occupying members of parliament offices, forcing liberals to answer for agreeing to such a vicious tactic to say that we reject this and we reject those politics. And when we voted for you, we voted against those politics, not for those politics. Exactly. And that's about it. You know, we obviously 100% are in support of the workers here, and we really encourage all of our listeners to support uh, uh, Cup W in any way that you can. You know, like if you you know about an action happening near your city, go out, uh, visit the workers, talk to your family members and people around you about why the strike is so important. Call the, the your MP, your your member of parliament, your MPs, uh, and give them hell about this this uh, legislation. And um, you know when whatever lawsuit is won, because I'm really hoping that that's where we're going next. Uh, we need to be ready to support even more intense actions. Fuck government trampling on all of our rights. That's right. And the holiday season's coming up. You know, you could order from Amazon or. Fuck Amazon, actually. That's a whole other side of this debate. 